Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Kong Sun with Believe in SCSU Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network, place with a show for every team in San Diego and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this episode, we're going to go take a trip back into the past, talk about three of the greatest teams in three different eras, some fun facts, and just dive deep into a little history of SDSU men's basketball. So without further ado, here we go. As always, if you enjoy the show, please feel free to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. We are also available wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday evening. I was thinking about doing some top five teams in school history to kind of explore what that was. And I realized essentially all top, all five of those teams were in the Steve Fisher era and not only in the Steve Fisher era, just within the past decade. So I thought it would be a more fun exercise to talk about top three teams or three of the top teams in school history and here's some criteria. it can't be this most recent recent squad we spent an entire season following them so if you want to hear about them feel free to listen to old episodes in the past to talk about uh, week by week sort of the changes and things that we've saw so the second criteria is that uh, it has to be in different eras meaning i don't want to run into just three steve fisher teams because you kind of get a sense of what a certain uh, particular coach's team structure will be. And then from there, it's, it's a piece of cake. So, or not piece of cake. What am I trying to say? I guess I'm trying to say that it's all very similar. There's not a lot of variety there. So we're going to go with uh, three teams, different eras. And I try to look for the same values or the same statistics. Um, what am I? God damn it. <laughs> I'm trying to look for the same statistical values and key facts for the women's side but unfortunately those aren't just those just aren't available at the moment so we're going to explore three of the more prominent Aztec men's teams in school history so we're going to start from most recent and work our way to the past we're going to start with what I feel was one of the best teams if not the best team and maybe the most um, monumental or the most impactful team in school history, the 2010-2011 Aztecs. This was Kawhi's second and final year as an Aztec. And I feel like this was monumental because, as I alluded to before, the top five teams in school history happened after this year. And I think this and what Kawhi brought to the program really catapulted the attention that San Diego State got from high school recruits. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, you get to play ball in San Diego. You get to be close to the beach. You get to take surfing classes towards your degree. And you're in constant 75-degree weather. And I think it rains maybe 10 times a year. There's there's no downside to being in San Diego. So not only that, you get to actually play ball there with a coach that has such a deep pedigree like Steve Fisher. I It's really... Uh, confusing or baffling to me why more recruits wouldn't go to San Diego just because of those reasons. And I think 
Kawhi and what these guys were able to do really help cement that or begin that wave as we've seen in the last decade. This team finished 34-3 and through the season with an appearance in the Sweet 16. And in addition to Kawhi, there's three other very notable players that really helped round out this team. We're going to start with Malcolm Thomas. He's power forward, rangy power forward, 11 points a game, 8 rebounds a game. He was a transfer for, transfer from Pepperdine, sat out a year, then played two uh, here at San Diego State. He currently plays overseas professionally, and this guy was just as much of a rebounding machine as Kawhi. I mean, this guy, had, I think he was like 6'10", and he had really long arms and shot the ball from the free throw line pretty, at a pretty decent clip and was just a rim runner, and he was willing to, you know, back down guys and be physical and wasn't afraid of that. So if you have already a Kawhi wing player and you have a power forward like that, you're going to get a lot of boards, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, next, I want to say it's uh, our point guard, the team captain, DJ Gay, uh, 11 points a game, three assists a game, a steal a game, and he ran the show. I mean, he was often one of the two outside uh, threats, perimeter threats. Um, Kawhi, as an Aztec, he wasn't quite the shooter that he is now in the NBA. He shot the ball a little bit further behind his head, and his mid-range was solid, but he was a little iffy from three. And DJ was kind of stepped in to help space the floor a little bit, and we had a very notable post presence. And that gets rounded out with Billy White. 10 points a game, 4 rebounds a game, a steal a game, almost a block a game. And he was sort of the Swiss Army knife. If Malcolm Thomas was our rebounding, rim-running big man, if Kawhi was our rangy, um, rebounding wing player who plays a lot of defense and guards the best perimeter player, Billy White was sort of the in-between. He can play in the post. He was agile enough to stay in front of wings. And he can occasionally hit the mid-range jumper. And he had some post moves. So he was really helpful for us and really an integral part for that team. And Malcolm, DJ, and Billy all were able to play at least a couple seasons overseas. Uh, with Malcolm, I think he played so total 40 games in the NBA. So those four guys... With other guys like Chase Tapley, this was, I think, Jamal Franklin's freshman year, and he kind of led the drive a couple of years later. It was a really stacked team. I mean, they started 20-0. They routed opponents left and right, and it was a really, really fun time. Um, so we'll go down through, now that we can look back almost uh, 10 years back, and look at some notable opponents, and we'll go ahead and start from, I guess, who we, whoever we played first. And which is Cal State Long Beach. And back then we won 81 to 65. And Cal State Long Beach had a notable player by the name of Casper Ware. He had, he's very well known, I guess, in the summer circuit in the summer leagues in LA. He had a cup of coffee with the NBA. He plays professionally overseas, disguised as a stud. And he was on the Cal State Long Beach team. Um, we've also beat what was then ranked number 11, Gonzaga, 79 76. And he, they had Kelly Olenek, Robert Sacre, David Stockton. And that was definitely, I mean, for a college team, a star-studded class. And it was a big, big win at the time. I think it was only like our third or fourth game of the year. So it really sparked that idea that this team's definitely something special when we were able to beat them. Um, of course, we always had uh, 
uh, yearly rivalry with St. Mary's, and we beat them by 14 this year. And on their roster was a man by the name of Matthew Delavadova. I'm sure a lot of you guys know who he is. Um, right before we started the conference play, we traveled, I believe, up to Cal and won by 20, 77-57. And while the score might indicate it was, you know, quite a beatdown, Cal had a guy by the name of Alan Crabb who has played in, himself into quite a career and quite a payday in the NBA. So, again, even despite what the score is saying, to be able to beat a team that has NBA-level talent is definitely nothing to scoff at. And going down in, during conference play, our biggest rival was definitely BYU, led by Jimmer Fredette. Everyone knows the crazy college run that he had with Jimmer. And he was our biggest opponent of the year, of the years past. I mean, he was, they were in the Mountain West until very recently, just a couple of years ago. But to give you a breakdown, we lost at BYU. And at the time, BYU was ranked ninth in the country. Then we beat them at home when BYU was ranked seventh in the country. And then we beat them in Vegas to win the Mountain West Conference Championship. And BYU was ranked eighth in the country. So as you can imagine, this tug and pull of who's ranked above the other school and, and this bragging rights between the student bodies. And it was a fierce competition throughout the year. It was something that I was kind of hoping to have with Utah State. And we had to a certain degree. I mean, they did beat us in the Mountain West Conference Championship after all. And when we played at Utah State, we were down by 12, I think, it early in the second half but it just wasn't the same type of opponent the same type of buzz that BYU provided that year and finally I think the most notable opponent or team that we've played by far the entire season was the eventual champion UConn we lost to them by seven in the sweet 16 I was so upset um we were, I, I believe the moment that I will remember forever is the second half. I think we were up by three. They were coming back. Call timeout. Kemba Walker is going on his crazy run and he's celebrating. I think he made a basket or, or contributed to the basket. And he's celebrating, walking towards his huddle. And Jamal Franklin is walking towards the San Diego State huddle. And I think Jamal just kind of pretended, or not pretended, kind of gave him a little shoulder nudge those types of shoulder nudges that you don't really move but you just kind of get in the way of the person to let him know like hey man like i i know you're here i kind of recognize the presence and don't mess with me kind of thing and kemba kind of sold it you know that's the thing that that's the most frustrating is he flopped the hell out of that i mean it's the same kind of shoulder bump that you get when you're trying to get to your friends at a bar and you're just trying to get past people that that was honestly all that it was and Kemba made it seem like he pushed him pushed the hell out of him like he was playing football with no pads on or something that happened they gave Jamal Franklin attack Kemba made two free throws and the ball back made another bucket and all the momentum was just sucked out of the building for the Aztecs but at the end of the day they won can't say anything Kemba was phenomenal that year they also had two other NBA guys, Jeremy Lamb and Shabazz Napier. And at the very least, if there's any positive to take away from it all, it's just that we lost to the eventual champs. I mean, that's not really what I would prefer to say. I would rather say that we won, but, you know, 
looking back at the list of opponents that we beat, all the NBA talent that we beat, it was a pretty incredible year. Um, some random stats for the year. There were four games in 2010 and 2011 where the Aztecs attempted less than 10 threes. This year, no game went by without at least 12 attempts from three as a team to kind of paint the picture of how this particular team was. Not a really rangy three, and that was sort of the Achilles heel of the Aztecs that year. That was just, once we got in the paint, it was it was tough to stop us with Kawhi, Billy, and uh, Malcolm. But if DJ Gay, Chase Tapley was another great shooter, those guys weren't having it from the outside. They can really pack the paint and make it really tough for us. And we were going to defend no matter what and get boards, but it was really tough to get points. It was a lot of the high 50s, low 60s type of points whenever San Diego State played. And speaking of rebounds, just in that one year, Kawhi grabbed 380 rebounds. That is more than what Matt Mitchell and Yanni got this year combined by about like 60 rebounds. So Kawhi Leonard, 10 years ago, in 37 games, grabbed more rebounds as a wing than our starting power forward and our starting center combined. In a, in an era where they shoot more jump shots, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, Boardman gets paid, as they say. And... Personal opinion that 2010 and 2011 will be the most memorable for me. I mean, obviously this 2019, 2020 version is a very, very close second, but it's sort of one of those things where you, it's hard for me to, to beat out the original. It's kind of like the original Fast and Furious movie. You know, a lot of these movies are great. Fast Five is probably the best one, but most of my memory and my emotion is tied to the original. So we're going to jump back into Time Machine, travel all the way back in time to 1984, 1985, and visit the Aztecs team then. Um, back then, there was a coach we had by the name of Smokey Gaines, which is a phenomenal back, uh, basketball head coaching name and also very appropriate for the 80s. He, have, he coached SDSU to a 112 and 117 overall record, which wasn't all that great and this year i think won about 20 games but one thing i noticed off the bat statistically speaking they did not keep different statistics or keep track of twos versus threes which was just all field goals or field goals they were in the WAC, the western athletic conference and the schools within that conference was utep texas el paso or utep is texas el paso new mexico colorado state byu Utah, Wyoming, Hawaii, and Air Force. So a lot of familiar names outside of UTEP. Um, so these some of these rivalry, rivalries go way back. We started the season in 84, 8-0. And there are a couple of notable opponents that I noticed. One of our first games was against UC Irvine, and we beat them 86-77. to um, there was a player by the name of Johnny Rogers on the Ant Eaters team who played about two seasons in the NBA, but he is the current vice president of pro personnel with the Wizards. So shout out to Mr. Rogers. Looks like he stayed in the neighborhood. Um, there was another guy by the name of Todd Murphy, Todd with only one D, which was already a cool fact. 
but he's currently a head coach at a D3 school called Gordon College. So notable basketball lifers that we played against when we played uh, UCI. And we played a school by the name of McNessie State. McNess State. I'm not sure how to pronounce that correctly. I've genuinely haven't heard of it in my lifetime and i'm sure you haven't and if you have then you know why i'm bringing this school up we beat them actually 91 to 85 and you know there was a there was a guy by the name of joe dumars i don't know you might have heard of him he's a two-time champion with the pistons but uh you know outside of being a great player and a great executive and all that stuff he was a decent college player and but we beat him so at least we can hold that over him and finally we lost a game to Michigan State, 61-77, to a Michigan State Spartans team that was led by a man by the name of Scott Skiles, one of the more scarier-looking scarier and intimidating head coaches in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, so that's the only reason why I put it on there. <laughs> um, this was the year that Villanova beat Patrick Ewing's Georgetown to win the NCAA crown. So... Uh, it's a pretty interesting time frame. Having all doing this exercise and looking back, we get to really fill in the gaps of who did what in their college career and how paths cross and things like that. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. I, I definitely suggest you guys try it. And finally, we'll go even further back in time to 1977, where the 77 and 78 Aztecs made their first NCAA. Uh, appearance back then um, we actually had three players who had a cup of coffee with the NBA back then and team was led by a man by the name of Joel Kramer who had a five-year career with the Phoenix Suns and backing him up with Steve Malovich one season three different teams played for the Bullets the Clippers of San Diego and the Detroit Pistons which I would love to hear the story about all that and a man by the name of Rock Lee. One season with the San Diego Clippers and one hell of a name. Probably the best name out of the three. The head coach back at the t- back then at the time, slow down, Kongsan, is named by the uh, coach by the name of Tim Vezzi. He had five coach five seasons coaching San Diego State to a seventy seven and sixty two record. We were in a conference called the Pacific Coast Athletic Association, the PCAA. I'm wondering if all the conferences back then just sort of try to change the first letter to stay consistent, but eh, neither here nor there. And the schools within that conference was Fresno State, Cal State Fullerton, University of Pacific, Cal State Long Beach, San Jose State, UC Santa Barbara, UC Irvine. Basically, if you live in California, these are all the schools that you go on those college tours with when you're in high school. It's pretty much all those were there. Um, so there are three notable opponents that I found during that we played against during the season. We lost to then number ranked or then ranked number ten UNLV, ninety five one hundred one, and a man by the name of Reggie Theus, an NBA great, was on the team. We also lost to Dayton seventy one to eighty. There was a sharpshooter by the name of Jim Paxson. Um, we, which we'll get to know a little bit, hopefully through the Bulls documentary later this month. And finally, we beat BYU. Thank God. 104.88. I just really do enjoy beating BYU. Um, there's a man by the name of Danny Ainge, who is a notable 
Celtics player for sure, Celtics legend, both in the front office and on the hardwood. And some random stats that I found or random facts about the 77-78 season. It only thing that I found that was really interesting was the conference schedule was just flip-flopped. So whoever you played first in the conference play just ended up being the last team you play. So you had a home and home with that middle as they kind of flip. So if you played all the teams and UCI was the last team on the first half of your schedule, then you just played UCI again the week after. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It seems pretty simple. I mean, trying to put myself in that mindset back in the day of um, being in the 70s, just looking at the schedule like, oh, I don't know. Let's just, here, take that and just flip, fold it over. and flip. We're done. Dude, just switch, you know, mix up who goes where and who travels where, but just flip-flop and we're good to go. <laughs> um, I guess that was simpler times back then. But that kind of rounds out the, the three teams that, are very prominent and made their impact on Aztec basketball history. I definitely wish that I was able to do this with the women's team as well. I mean, shout out to the 2010 women's team also because they also made it to the Sweet 16, got a WNBA first-round pick, three players I think that played overseas, a current assistant coach at Hawaii. Those girls just killed it that year. A lot of upsets. Proved a lot of doubters wrong, and it was one hell of a season for them, too. So just shout out to them. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes again. And you can find us on at Believe.com and at Believe Sports. My name is Kongson. I am at N-A-S-G-N-A-K, just my name backwards, on Instagram. And if you're interested, interested in advertising on the show, please contact us at Believe.com. Dot com. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Feel free to reach out if you want to talk hoops. And until next time, go Aztecs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.